Welcome back to the Mayor's Manor Podcast. There's an old saying in sports, to get something of value, you have to give up something of value. And in the case of the Kings, they hit pay dirt in January 1990. They traded away one of their most popular players, Bernie Nichols, to the New York Rangers, and in return they received Tomas Sandstrom and Tony Granato. Two players that brought grit and skill and often were the most productive offensive weapons they had alongside Wayne Gretzky and Luper Robitaille. Earlier this week on MayorsManor.com, we posted the first part of an interview with Granato, who is now an assistant coach with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Hope you enjoy what you hear from former King, Tony Granato. Tony, thanks for joining us today. Why don't we jump right into things? You're coaching now, so that's probably a good place to start. You played for many coaches throughout your career. When you look at your style, would you say there's anything that you were able to take from Barry Melrose and adapt into who you are as a coach? I like playing for Barry a lot. Um, there are, you know, I think his, ener- his energy and his passion and how much he loved, uh, loved the game and, uh, you know, his, his uh, whole demeanor was something that, you know, I admired. And I think the one thing you got to be careful of when you are in coaching is that you don't try and be somebody else. Um, but what you do is you try to take positives and the, uh, the good things that you had from the coaches that you had. And Barry was, you know, one of my favorites, if not my favorite coach I ever played for. So I love playing for Barry. I love this, like I said, uh, what he brought to our team. I thought it was a young, energetic uh, style of play. And, uh, you know, we were pretty darn close to, to winning it all under him. So uh, I had great memories and, and uh, certainly had a lot of fun, fun playing for him. What would you say, would be, you mentioned a second ago, you know, trying to come up with your own style and not really trying to copy anybody else, um, but, but what are three attributes that you think make a good coach in the National Hockey League today? Well, communication is, is number one, respect, uh, trust, um, you know, uh, passion. I mean, there's a lot of characteristics and qualities that you have to have as an individual to be successful as a coach. Certainly the knowledge and understanding of the game is important, but... Um, you know, I think all those, you know, attributes personally and individually are important. Um, I think you got to, uh, you know, surround yourself with the right people as far as the assistant coach and your staff goes. I think you got to, uh, uh, you know, understand that there's always something to learn. There's always more to learn. And that as a coach, you try and grow each and every day. I think that's important. Uh, you know, your ways might be uh, what you think is right all the time, but there are other ways out there that work as well. So I think adapting, being flexible is, is important. Um, and then I think, you know, again, go back to relating your players and communication with trust, with uh, respect is is, uh, is important. And, you know, if you bring passion and, and your energy to the rink, if you bring your, uh, you know, but, you know, to the game every day, hopefully it's, it's not for the players to, to grasp and understand and want to be on the edge for it. When, when you talk about trust, you're dealing with a locker room uh, full of different ages. You know, you have young players and you have experienced players and, and veterans and, and, and all sort. you know, a full, a full array of, uh, of guys. How do you go about building trust uh, when you first get to a team as an assistant coach? Well, first of all, uh, you know, the culture and the environment that's created by your staff is something that, you know, is a big part of that. So, uh, you know, 
knows that they're going to want, you know, the players are going to have to understand, and, and or you're going to have to understand what the players want and need out of you. And everybody's different. Every player is different. Every player you coach is going to be different on what they need from their coach as far as uh, communication, as far as push being pushed, as far as teaching, as far as how they're taught, as far as how they're communicated with. So that, that process is always an ongoing process of learning and understanding your players and, and uh, what you need to do uh, to help them and help ultimately help your team. So, so that's an ongoing process. That trust, that relationship is, is built over time. But, uh, you know, uh, ultimately it's, it's, you know, being your best, being honest, being, uh, you know, doing what you can to, to help the individual player, which is ultimately help your team. Now, players like to say that each year they get better because they learn a little bit more, uh, and coaches, you know, similarly like to say that you know they they gain knowledge every year. Um, when you look back at your time in Colorado, you're hired there on as a, uh, hired on there as an, as an assistant before the the o two o three season, and then you you're quickly promoted to head coach when they fire Bob Hartley. As you look back, would you say that maybe you know you weren't ready to be a head coach, or do you think you were ready to be a head coach that soon into that season? I, I think from a development standpoint, uh, there's two ways to look at it. One, I obviously know a lot more now about coaching and about teaching and about being part of a staff than I knew at that time. But if you look back at that time and you're young and all of a sudden you get that head coaching experience immediately, it also helps you grow uh, as a coach as you put forward. So um, you're exactly right. Your experiences you gain and what you learn on a day-to-day basis in our league, from our league, from our players, from watching our players, from understanding what's going on, you're always going to be better with the more experience you have. At that time, um, do I think it was right for me to take that job and be the guy that took over for Bob? Absolutely. So. I don't have any regrets or second guessing on, you know, should I have been the, the guy at that time? I don't think there's any doubt. You know, I don't think any, anything else, but yes. From a development standpoint, from a coach, I didn't have the opportunities to, to work through the minors, to have any length of time experience wise um, to help me be ready for that position. But. At that time, I really do think it was right for the organization, and, and uh, you know, I think it went well. I don't think it ultimately I did what I wanted to do as far as win a Stanley Cup, but you know, we put together a pretty solid year and a half there as you know, the head coach before I went back to the assistant position. Right. Yeah, you've uh, you've played and coached in both the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. Uh, when you look at a team like Los Angeles compared to a team in the East, is, is the difference in travel all that it's made out to be uh, at times? Uh, you know, can you see it as a factor or a reason why certain guys wouldn't want to sign to play in Los Angeles? Um, no, I, first of all, I think Los Angeles is a great place to play. Uh, there are some uh, challenges as far as travel is more difficult, there's no question about that, but the, the upside and the, the fan support there and the organization there and the, the talent pool that they have of young guys right now, I I couldn't see that being a reason why someone wouldn't want to sign them. If they ultimately want to win, they ultimately want to be part of an organization that has a chance to be special in different ways, um, I wouldn't see that as something that would be a negative, but 
you know, again, everybody's different. That's the one thing you do learn as a coach. Every player looks at things a little bit differently and thinks, you know, certain situations, certain things that happen in the game uh, differently than you do. So, um, you know, I just I just know uh, what kind of experience I had there in LA. Yeah, the challenges of the travel at times seem to be a little bit uh, uh, hard, difficult, but again, you know, the other thing about being nice weather and being in a climate where you go out and get fresh air and whatever else is, is a certain benefit that you could use in a positive way as well. So I, you know, I have trouble believing that a player would say, I'm not going to that team because it's too much travel or whatever else. I would think they'd look at the positives and look at the organization and all the good things it has to offer. When you talk about the first time that you went to Staples Center, do you have any memories there? You know, what did you think about the new building in Los Angeles after all those years of playing at the Forum? Well, I just, I actually uh, just remember Bruce McDowell uh, when the topic came up that 1999 we'd be moving out of the Forum into a new arena and, and his vision of what it would look like and what it would be. And, uh, you know, I think... Um, you know, the forum had so much tradition and, and history itself. You always, you know, miss the old, you know, you miss the old building and you miss the special part of that. But you also look at uh, uh, the new place and you realize that, you know, that's just the way, you know, today's game is and the way uh, it is in today's society. That it's bigger and more elegant and, and more friendly revenue-generating places are, are what have to be in place. So we missed this ball, we missed the stadiums and the Boston Gardens and the old buildings, but um, you also look at this state-of-the-art facilities and you realize how special they are as well and you hope that they can someday have the tradition and history of the old ones as well. Now, a lot of people, you know, don't talk about your, your, your time in New York. You're really remembered more for the Kings and, and later uh, being in San Jose. But that first year that you were with the Rangers, Marcel Dion was there wrapping up his, his uh, Hall of Fame career. What memories do you have of him there, if any at all? Uh, Mars was, uh, I was with, actually line mates with Marcel and Guy Lafleur, two Hall of Fame guys. Uh, I roomed with Marcel for a while. Um, he was very helpful on, on little, you know, tips uh, offensively to help. But he was just a happy guy, and I enjoyed uh, my time with him. I, I uh, obviously followed his career through the King days and everything else, and and I uh, really admired how he played for an undersized guy to be able to be that productive and have a Hall of Fame career was was pretty incredible. So I was lucky. I was able, you know, through all my stops to play with some players that. Now, that first season there in New York, you put up 36 goals, and at the time, you know, the following year, you're traded to Los Angeles. Uh, you probably at the time were surprised, but as you look back on things now, you know, many years later, is it that surprising that you were traded, or or, uh, or is it still something that you know confuses well, you? I don't think it's surprising. You know, I think if you look back at the deal and how the whole thing happened. Um, you know, two teams were probably both teams that were considered good teams that really needed sparks and both thought they could should be and could be better teams and you know I think it was a good trade for both teams I think it was uh, the timing was right for both teams I think it, it did help the Rangers win a Stanley Cup a couple years later because the following trade that Bernie uh, was traded for was, was a Messier deal so 
Um, and then the Kings thing, we you know we almost won a Stanley Cup, you know, not too long after that either. So I think pieces were right for both teams to make that move. Um, and I think the one thing you have about being surprised, I don't think there's anything you can be surprised with uh, in the game of hockey. I mean, not too much earlier than that Wayne Gretzky got traded. So that one was the one that surprised me more than anything that I've seen. So. Uh, you know, a lot of things happen for different reasons, and, and uh, I was very grateful for the year and a half I had in New York, but I can't really say that, uh, you know, uh, the seven years I had in L.A. were probably the most memorable seven years I had as, as a player, and, and um, you know, I had the chance to play with Wayne, with Luke Robitaille, with Dave Taylor, with, with Rob Blake. You know, with Marty, with Kelly Rudy, I could go on and on. Unless the players started Robinson, uh, it doesn't stop. Up with phenomenal people and Hall of Fame players themselves, it just you know we had a, a pretty special thing there in LA. So I was I was lucky to start you know in New York, but where I went was uh, like you know, I think very special. How how excited were you to have a guy like Thomas Sandstrom come with you in the trade, and did, did it cushion the blow at all that you'd be taking somebody that you knew from New York with you to to Los Angeles to you know a locker room full of new guys? Well, the thing that really helped was he was a dirtier player than I was. <laughs> I like the fact that he was alongside me. Now Thomas was a tremendous teammate. He played as hard as anybody I've ever played with as far as how hard he competed. Uh, and obviously, when you do go to a new team, if you can have a buddy with you to go along, uh, it makes things a whole lot easier. And and uh, um, I, you know, couldn't have been welcome more from from the guys from Luke and Wayne and the other guys. So it was a pretty easy transition. They made you feel part of it right away. Uh, you know, when you when you walk into an environment like that, you realize the superstars and the the players that you're going to play with, sometimes you're a little nervous about, you know, about fitting in. But, but those guys, you get into the room or the locker room, and it makes you feel like you've been there uh, your whole life. So it was, a, it was a pretty easy transition that way. I think the one thing that stung a little bit was I was injured at the time and missed a few weeks before I was able to play. So that was probably the most frustrating point in my career when you get traded you want to show your team and your new teammate what you can bring to the table. Um, that was pretty frustrating having a lot of pursuing. Now, there was one funny incident. I'm not sure if you happen to remember or not. It's just one thing in, in, in a long career, but there was a time at the forum uh, where you guys were playing a game, and, and there were so many penalties in the game, um, as, as there were in some of those smite division contests, but there were so many penalties uh, that the, the box was full, and, and you go into the penalty box, and you end up sitting on, on Thomas Sandstrom's lap. Do you remember that game, and do you remember that penalty situation? No, I don't, but I'd love to get a picture. If you can find a picture of that, that would be spectacular. <laughs> I, I, probably, I think I do remember the game because I think it was probably the Edmonton game uh, where we broke the, I think it broke the record for either penalties or penalty minutes in a game. And uh, obviously it was a rivalry. Wayne had come over from Edmonton, and, and uh, we were trying to establish ourselves as a, a Stanley Cup contender, and, and uh, they were... You know, division rivalries, and that was uh, that was a tremendous rivalry that was, you know, sparked by the trade, sparked by Daryl Evans, or whatever it was, that really was fun to be part of. And, uh, you know, I do believe that that was uh, one of those games where 
I can't imagine Thomas and I. Thomas and I being in the box together, uh, <laughs> uh, well, probably wasn't a first, but uh, I'm sure Marty was in there with us, and I don't know what, but I'd love to see that picture. That'd be very cool to see. Fans are always interested in, in how guys come up with their numbers. You started your career at 18 with the Rangers, went on to 14 when you first came to L.A., but for the bulk of your career, war number 21. Did did 21 have a significant meaning to you, or was it just the number you ended up with? Well, no, I grew up idolizing Stan Makita, so that was the uh, the reason that I always wanted that 21. I went 21 in college, and then 18, uh, New York, and when I got to New York, 21 was was taken. When I got to LA, 21 was taken, and then uh, the following year it became available. And then stuck with it through, through the rest of the LA and San Jose years. Now, in ninety two ninety three, you had your best season with 82 points. Um, did having Gretzky out of the lineup for the first half of that season actually in some ways make you guys a better team because of the changes to the line combinations and whatnot? I don't think our team was any better. Uh, I, mean, was, I think our team was at a state where we were able to rally upon, Jesus. we just lost our best player, our captain, the greatest player in the game. You know, we're going to have to figure out how to buy time until he gets back. And um, I think Barry Mellows did a great job on, on getting us to believe in ourselves. I think we had, one. you know, when you lose a player like that, you have your doubts. Um, but, it, you know, it does give other players opportunities to play different roles than they would have. Um, but I don't think we could have done it any longer. Like, I really believe that, uh, you know, we're in some ways playing over ads, in some ways we're playing on adrenaline to, to, to say, hey, Wayne's out of the lineup. We've got to make sure when he gets back here, we're, you know, we've left him a chance to, to, to not only make the playoffs, but be ready for the playoffs. So from that standpoint, I think we handled it very well. I think we had great leadership. I think we had great coaching. And I think Wayne was still a big part of it. And he wasn't in it for the first part of the year. And, uh, you know, but obviously when he got back, we welcomed him. And, and uh, you know, he made a pretty big recovery because there was some doubt on whether or not he'd be able to come back from that injury. Yeah, now obviously that year was a big year. You guys went all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, we'd be remiss to not talk about, you know, the incident. But, you know, do you think that the incident with Marty Stick in the finals, was that the difference maker in the series at that point? Uh, it was a turning point, but, you know, Marty Masori played great for us the whole year and it wouldn't have been in the finals without Marty Masori. So that's not, that's not why we lost the finals. You know, we had plenty of other games that we put ourselves uh, uh, in positions to win that we didn't. Um, I think the difference in the series was Patty Waugh, Kelly Rudy was great the whole playoffs and in that series as well. Uh, but, you know, Patty Waugh made some saves there when the game was on the line and in the overtime that gave, you know, their team a chance to, uh, to win. You know, you lose three overtime games in a row. Obviously, they could go either way. Um, and, uh, so, you know, that series was, was, you know, certainly the first five games of those that series, um, you could easily look back at it and say, geez, we probably should have won four of them, but you know, that's that's the way hockey goes. Sometimes you don't get the results you think you deserve. Um, and I know we played hard. I know we left it on the ice. I know um, the, the, the guys that I was fortunate enough to play with there um, were warriors and were guys that you want to be out and put yourself in a position like that. And uh, so I think 
from that standpoint, there should be no disappointment. Obviously, we would love to have won, but but I know that uh, every one of us gave us gave everything we had to one another to try and and, uh, and do the best we could. With Rob Blake retiring now, there's been a lot of discussion in Los Angeles about whether or not his number should be retired. Um, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, when he left Los Angeles, there was a certain percentage of the, the Kings fans that uh, yeah. you know booed him and whatnot um, that, aren't, that aren't happy with him. As you look back uh, to, to, to Rob Blake's career with the Kings, would you say that his jersey number you know, is worthy of being retired in Los Angeles? Without a doubt. And I will, I, you know, I'm not going to um, get into the fact that of why he left or should he or should not have left. It, it, the situation just wasn't right. And and he loves L.A. He still lives in L.A. Uh, and I think of him as a king. And I always think of him as a king. And, you know, like I, I don't know that you'll ever find a better person to be around as far as... Uh, someone to represent the organization and I know the stuff that did happen probably stung him for a while when he got booed and and, and it, to me it was unfair but you know you know um, some of the things that came out in the paper were a little bothersome but that's hockey you learn to understand that that's part of it too and you move on and uh, you know he's able to win a Stanley Cup in Colorado um, and then he, you know fortunately he was able to get back to LA and I think you know um, he had a tremendous impact on that organization that, uh, as far as changing the culture as far as teaching the young kids how to play the game and, and the leadership he brought to it um, certainly deserved it of having his number hang up the rafters yeah he certainly had a Hall of Fame career there's no doubt about it uh, as a player and as a teammate when he was going through that contract battle and he and he Gave up, you know, resigned the captaincy. Did you have any reaction to that uh, as a player then? Well, you know, I, 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 I got a pretty good relationship with Rob, so I kind of know the stuff that was going on um, in a little different way than probably um, uh, most people. And, and like I said, I, I don't think there, there certainly was no intention for him to, to run away from town. Um, it was something that wasn't meant to to work um, and uh, you know like I guess I think it, it hurt him on how, how the whole thing was perceived by people and maybe how the media perceived it at that time but but you know that's another thing again you learn by by what things goes on and, and, and I know Rob and I know what he means to a team and an organization in Oaxaca and and uh, like I said fortunately he was able to come back and be you now he's like I said living in LA and part of that community and you know someday maybe you'll be back in the King organization again Tony I really appreciate your time thank you very much and best of luck this season sounds good thank you Jeff thanks Tony well that's it another Mayor's Manor interview has come to an end as always hope you enjoyed what you heard and thanks for listening until next time be sure to keep up with all the news by following along on mayorsmanor.com or over on twitter at twitter.com slash mayor119 and of course don't forget to like us on facebook at facebook.com slash Mayor's Manor. Have a great week.